Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. We're excited to be here. This is day two or let's get growing, man. And I'm telling you, we just are excited about what God is doing. Um, I'm just knowing that God has um, set us up to for greatness. Um, you know, I was reading the scripture this morning. He says, I have not seen, ear have not heard, it haven't even entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Amen. Uh, but it goes on to say, but he's revealing it by his spirit for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And so there are some things that God has in store for us. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm poised to get those things. I'm, I'm in position. I'm ready to get what uh, the good things that God has in store for me. So, um, you know, we got to grow. We got he's not going to give um, something to a a person that is not ready uh, to handle it. And so we want to get to in position to handle what God wants to do for us. The Bible also says he'll do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that works on the inside of you. And so you, you're talking about, we just got to get to that place where God is going to minister to us in, in such a great fashion. We are, we are open to his moving and, and his leading and his guiding. So, you know, I was praying this morning and I said, God, I don't, I don't want to try to live this life without you. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to attempt, you know, it's in you that I live, I move, I breathe. Uh, it's in you, God. I, and I don't want, you know, to think that I, I, I've arrived at any point of my life. I always want to be in the hunt for, for God. You know, David says, as the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my heart after you, O God. And so that's what that's where I want to be. That's where I, I want to be. I want to be in God's presence. I want to be, uh, I want to learn. I want to grow. Um, there's some great things that he has in store for us, you know, and so that's where uh, I would, I would like to do. I would like to get that going. So um, we're in session two, um, volume one, and I'm going to go ahead and get it cranked up. And so, uh, you know, after a while, we're going to have some dialogue um, and, and give you an opportunity to um, to really uh, get involved in in our lessons. So we're excited about that. So let me go ahead and start sharing my screen and we're going to get this thing kicked off. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yeah, guys, after you think about all that we processed in session one, uh, that manhood is in a state of confusion, it really leaves you kind of thrown off yeah. because you've got so many issues. I, I don't know about you guys. First time I heard that, I thought, oh, that's not me. You know, I, it's not my fault. It's your fault. But but then I got honest and realized, no, that is me. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the exciting things about this session is things begin to shift now from right. kind of what the problem is to what maybe where some solutions can be found. And that's one of the things I'm excited about at the beginning of this second session. And, and that's key. I mean, it's key. Once you begin to identify where you are as a man, 
Now you have to begin to find what what kind of training do I need to move out of my current state to a higher level? Yeah, we're also going to talk about the power that we need to fuel our journey. Yeah, right. Yeah, and just the the going back to Genesis one and two, and really looking at God's original design and mandate, and that whole create and cultivate idea, I think it's is just really, really helpful for guys. I know it was for me. Yeah. Well, that's what you're going to talk about uh, today. But before we get into that, there's something really important. Every man on the journey with us needs the, the 33 training guide, because in that guide, you'll find some supplemental information, some content we're not able to cover in the sessions. And you'll also find some questions to help you process the, the, uh, the information, process what you're learning. Hopefully, you'll get together with a teammate or teammates to hold you accountable uh, to, to that. And also in each session, you'll see the, the core idea uh, of, of each session, and we're going to challenge you to personalize it. And to write down at least, at least one strategic move that you're going to make. Because we're going to build an action plan to help us move from where we are to where God created us to be. Yeah, and one of the things I love about that idea of writing down a 33 strategic move and a 33 action plan and really creating that is it really helps guys move from just information and education into really transformation. And when a guy owns it and personalizes it in that way, it really kind of helps us move toward that transformation. Yeah, you know, you said something the other day, something Emmett Smith said, it's only a dream until what? what it's written, that? Yeah, I heard Emmett Smith say one time that a dream remains a dream until you write it down, then it becomes a goal. That yeah. really is like, man, there's a lot of truth to that. And that's the reality of it, that men were about action. I mean, the whole reality of a man's life, he had to be moving somewhere. We're moving up, we're moving down, but this action plan will help move us to that new place. And I'm excited about that. That's why this session two, create and cultivate, is going to be so critical because it moves us from the problem to now the solution. Let's get into it, guys. That's right. You're up, man. All right, man. Let's do it. In the last session, we laid the groundwork for our journey toward authentic manhood. We took a sobering look at our current manhood crisis and the historical realities that have led to the massive manhood confusion that we're experiencing today. Those realities should be a startling wake-up call for all of us. Men were created for a noble purpose. Our Creator has given men a mission here on earth. It's in His original design, His original blueprints for man. It's what God intended when He created man. That's what we want to talk about today. We want to bring clarity to our confusion about manhood. Thankfully, God is not silent on the issue of masculinity. Now, we need to go back, way back, to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis. By the way, that's what Genesis means. It's the book of beginnings. I think it's a smart move for us to see how things were meant to be in their original design. In the first two chapters, we see a world as it was intended to be. And this is important. We see God model something. In the very first book of the Bible, it says that God looked down into the chaos of nothingness and He did something. He initiated, He acted, He created. The first thing we see God do is model leadership. And He does it through two specific actions. First, we see God create. Then we see God cultivate. In Genesis 1, God creates and cultivates. And into existence comes galaxies and the planets and earth and plants and animals and mankind. He spoke them into existence. And then he surrounded his creation with nurturing environments for it to grow and mature. God creates and then he cultivates what he created. You then move into Genesis 2 and it reminds us of all God created. 
And it goes into detail about how he cultivated his creation with things like streams that come up and water the surface of the ground. God provided trees that were pleasing to look at as well as a good source of food. Now, that begs the question, that's good for God, but what does that have to do with me? To answer that, I think it's important for us to see how God created us in the first place. In Genesis 1.27, it says a very profound thing. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Right there in the first book of the Bible, God clarifies for us that he intended man to be like him. We know what that looks like because God modeled it for us. To be like him means we will be men who lead. And the way we lead is to create and to cultivate. To drive home that point, Genesis 1.28 says another very profound thing. In it, God speaks to man and he says this, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. To subdue it means to bring it under control. In other words, God wants man to assume responsibility, to really own it. God has given man a mandate to create and cultivate. It's what God himself modeled. He created man not only to bring things into existence, whether that's a marriage or children, a business, a ministry, but also to develop and nurture, to cultivate whatever it is that he creates. To say this another way, God created men to be social and spiritual leaders. Like God, men are designed to initiate, to create, then to follow through on what they started, to cultivate. So if you create a family, then foster an environment that allows your wife and your children to thrive. If you start a career, then follow through and cultivate your talents. Bring your skill sets to bear in the marketplace. These are the tracks that God has laid for us to travel in our manhood journey. Now, what happens when men ignore this mandate? What happens when men don't lead? When men don't accept this responsibility to create and cultivate? You are guaranteed chaos. For example, think about the disorder and the confusion that occurs in a home when a father abandons his responsibility to raise his kids. Statistically, children growing up in a father absent home are far more likely to die in infancy, live in poverty, end up in prison, use drugs, be abused, drop out of school. Clearly, the presence or absence of a father has an enormous impact on a child's life. And when men fail to embrace their God-given responsibility, when they fail to fight a noble fight like fatherhood, what follows is chaos and pain for those left in its wake. God did not intend for men to create chaos. God intended for men to create and cultivate, to solve problems, not create problems. Now, you don't have to be a take-charge guy with a type A personality to create and cultivate. Masculinity is not about being a natural-born leader. It's about courage. And any man who's willing to step up and initiate and be courageous can lead in these areas. Unfortunately, the first man, Adam, failed miserably in these areas. He did not show the courage to lead Eve in the midst of her temptation. Adam blew it. In Genesis 3, we see that Satan comes along and tempts Eve with the fruit from the tree that God had told them not to eat. He appeals to her senses. He questions the will that God had given them and suggests that God is somehow holding out on them. In Genesis 3, 6, it says that Eve saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes. She took of its fruit and ate. 
And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, we're going to address this more in the next session, but notice that Adam was right there with his wife. He wasn't somewhere else in the garden. Instead, he was passively standing while his wife was tempted. Adam and Eve chose the fruit over obedience to God. It was pleasing to their senses. Now, this is important. There are two misses that can happen when it comes to experiencing God's best for our life. The first miss is when we decide that true happiness is found outside of God or away from God or around God. We buy into the lie that says ultimate fulfillment in life is found in money or power, or sex or recognition. That somehow God must be holding out on me. And if I were to start following God's will, his will for my life, that would be dull and boring. The fruit is pleasing to our senses and becomes a replacement for God who created us. Let's call this miss or this choice the way of the fruit. It's the choice that Adam and Eve made when they chose the fruit their own way over God's will. Genesis 3-7 reveals the second miss to experiencing what God intended for us. You see, once Adam and Eve realized they had sinned, it not only disrupted their relationship with God, but also their relationship with each other. For the first time, they were aware of their nakedness, so they covered themselves with fig leaves. They know that they've messed up, that they've disobeyed God's will and experienced the separation that's caused by sin. Now, instead of turning to God to fix the mess they created, they attempted to cover their sin, cover themselves. Let's call this mess the way of the fig leaves. They tried to fix it themselves. Now, here's how this plays out today. On one hand, those who choose the way of the fruit are the people who follow any path that appeals to their senses. These substitutes seem harmless in the beginning, but they lead to a path that is self-destructive. Some are self-medicating. All of them are self-deceptive because they promise a fulfilling life, but they can't deliver. They always over-promise and under-deliver. They all reject God, His will, His way, His best. On the other hand... Those who choose the way of the fig leaves are the people who try to cover themselves with good behavior, try to perform their way into God's favor. They don't know it, but they are also rejecting God's will. They think they can make themselves acceptable to God, but God is perfect and His laws have been violated. Our best behavior, even our best religious self-effort, are no more impressive than mere fig leaves. The author of the Old Testament book, Isaiah, really nailed this truth when he said, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Both of these choices, the way of the fruit and the way of the fig leaves, cause us to miss the mark of God's intended purpose and His best for our life. God could have taken one look at Adam and Eve and the choices that they had made and said, that's it, I'm done. You're on your own. Good luck with those fig leaves. But He didn't. Watch what He does and said. It's an incredible act of grace. He takes the initiative to care for Adam and Eve despite their sin. Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. The grace that God offered Adam and Eve in that moment is a preview of the grace that he would offer to us thousands of years later through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Now let me stop right here and say something to those of you who may have gotten a distorted picture of Jesus from your past or maybe from some religious experience. We promise you this. If you'll hang with us as we dive in to explore authentic manhood, you'll see that Jesus not only models an inspiring masculinity, but he also enables us to live it ourselves. And I'd be willing to bet that many of you watching this probably never fully understood who Jesus really is. He's not the blue-eyed, blonde-haired, sweet Jesus depicted in so many paintings. He's a man's man in every sense of that phrase. 
He stared down Satan in the desert for 40 days. He sweated blood. He took nails in his hands, and yet he cared for his mom and rallied men. And his leadership and ultimately his murder and defeat of death sparked a movement that changed mankind more than any other life or movement in the history of the world. Just like Adam and Eve, we are all sinners. That doesn't mean that you and I are necessarily as bad as we could possibly be. Compared to some people, we might actually look pretty good. But God doesn't compare one man with another man. He compares all of mankind to himself, and we all come up woefully short. Like Adam, we have all, in one way or another, chosen our own selfish desires over his, and therefore destroyed our relationship with him. The bad news is our sin and our self-righteousness is an offense to a perfect and holy God. But here's the good news. Just as God showed grace to Adam and Eve, he's also offered grace to us. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us that while we're yet still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. If we place our trust in Jesus, we can receive his forgiveness and his righteousness. Romans 3.22 says that righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 1 Timothy 2.5 makes it clear that because of our sin, Jesus is our only hope for righteousness. It says there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So God has offered a provision for our sin. To experience that provision, we must place our trust in Him. Only by placing our trust in Jesus Christ can we have salvation and peace with God, as well as the power that fuels the authentic manhood that we're talking about. I think the best question to ask right now is, what are you trusting in? Maybe you're looking for satisfaction in cars, relationships, promotions, degrees, the latest gadgets. That's what people do when they've chosen their own will, the way of the fruit. Maybe you're trying to impress God and others with your religious accomplishment, which is the way of the fig leaves. But how do you know if you've been religious enough or good enough? All that religion and all those good deeds can start to feel a little thin when you think about standing before a perfect and holy God, like you're wearing nothing but a fig leaf. You simply cannot find salvation and peace with God, much less pursue authentic manhood apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not only our model, He's our Savior. If you're not confident that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to check out the video on our website. It'll tell you more about that and guide you through this important process. It's the most important decision you could possibly make. And you can never hope to pursue authentic manhood apart from it. Now, we've been discussing how Adam and Eve missed God's best for their lives and how every human being, man or woman, will either run from God or accept God's provision in Jesus. What we want to do now is look at how we as men can miss and pervert God's intention for our masculinity. As you'll see, the same misses of Adam and Eve, fruit and fig leaves, show up in the misses of manhood. For example, men who choose the way of the fruit become childish consumers. Unfortunately, due to silent and absent fathers, silent pulpits, silent mentors, most men today have their perspective of manhood shaped and defined by modern media. Marketing and advertising agencies have declared that being a man is defined not by what you produce, but by what you consume. They get paid to sell illusions of masculinity to men. Marketers encourage men to be lazy consumers. They advertise cars and clothes and body sprays and other products with an underlying message that these are the things that define your manhood. So you buy into those things in order to declare yourself a man. And men respond by trying to find their total fulfillment through temporary possessions and cheap thrills. We call these guys boys. 
because they act like children in their pursuits, children in their definition of success, children who only think about satisfying themselves and what makes sense to them. These are guys who turn exclusively to fun and vanity and things, hoping to find relief, joy, happiness, escape, and purpose. Take a look at this scene, a lighthearted take on what's a big issue for many men. are you doing? Totally dominating. That's what I'm no, doing. No, no, I mean, why aren't you dressed and ready to go? Baby, I'm like a fire tonight. Tim, this may be the single most important night of my life. I've worked years for this award. Headshot! Boom! Ben, Ben, go around the back of the building and take out the sentry gun. Honey, we have never made it to this level before. Uh, this is a stupid game. Oh, that just screams that you don't understand me. You're right. I don't understand how a grown man could willingly waste hours of his life on a boy's video game. I will have you know that this is a very manly pastime. What are you trying to do? Steal my manhood? Huh? Wait, wait, wait. Are you trying to neuter me? Is that what this is? Some kind of a secret ploy to dominate this home? Well, I won't stand for yeah, it. Yeah, it's a ploy. A ploy to make you less of a man. But this is how I express my individuality. Oh, yeah, with the game that sold millions of copies? How many people do you know with the gamer tag T-Rot, T-Dog? Fortunately, I don't know morons. And to think... I was going to give you sex tonight. Oh, that's it. I'm leaving. You play your meaningless, stupid video game until your heart's content. I'm going. I'm doing this alone. Hey, 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 hey! If you come back with a better attitude, I may reconsider the sex thing. <laughs> hey, Ben. Ben, I'm back. Just got me killed. <sighs> now, of course, every man needs to have some fun and enjoy some guy time. That's not what we're talking about. I enjoy that more than most. These are men who stay there. You see it in excessive hobbies, such as being totally obsessed with hunting or golf or dominating some softball league. These are the guys who camp out all night to buy a video game and then play it for 40 straight hours until they beat it. They're almost exclusively focused on what they can get and on pleasing their desires with whatever is available, whether it's porn, food, gadgets, movies, sports, childish consumers. God did not create men to merely be consumers. Boys consume and take. God designed men to create, to add value, to give, to produce. Jesus lived this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the Apostle Paul describes Jesus as a life-giving spirit. I love that description of Jesus. Wherever he went, Jesus infused life into people. He modeled authentic manhood by living his life to bless others, to encourage others, to build them up, and to give his life for their benefit. His authentic manhood was famous for a life-giving energy and an others-centered focus. 
Authentic men follow Jesus' lead by living with the purpose of blessing and encouraging others. They believe they were put on this earth to do more than just eat, sleep, make money, play, retire, and die. Now, we also see some men miss the mark by settling in with the religious or the fig leaf crowd. This is an equally bad miss when it comes to God's intended purpose for masculinity. We call these guys cowards and critics. Let's take a lighthearted look at an example of a coward and a critic. You like this job? It keeps the light on. I hate it. Maybe it's a company that bothers me. Maybe it's just work in general. You know, how many mistakes I see management make around here every single day? A ton. Like what? Like holding me down, that's what. That's some strong leadership around here. Maybe they threatened by you. Yeah, exactly. You see it too, right? Management holding me down, I tell you. If I was running this company, there'd be a lot of changes around here. Rule number one, bring the arsonists. Why don't you try implementing some of these changes? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a visionary by nature. I'm an idea kind of guy. I'm a thinker. I'm a doer. I can definitely see that. It's like when I tell my ex-boss, when I would knock off early, I tell him, pay me for my expertise, not my time. Keyword, ex-boss. Yeah, that guy didn't get it either. You ever thought about leaving and starting your own business? Yeah, I thought about it. You have my support. I don't want to just tie myself down to just one idea, you know? Yeah, you want to avoid that type of solid decision-making. Oh, no doubt. You want a donut? Oh, the truth is, money's not that important to me. I mean, I'm comfortable, and it looks like my living expenses will be going down soon anyways. Oh, yeah? You downsizing? Kind of. I keep telling my girlfriend, I say, you can pay half the bills, then I marry her. What a lucky gal. Well, I can't stand to sit here and watch you do such a mediocre job. Remember, bring the awesomeness. Cowards and critics are guys who are condescending to those who don't adhere to their moral checklist. They define themselves often by what they don't do. They take pride in the fact that they don't get drunk, don't do drugs, or watch questionable movies. These are the kinds of guys who have destroyed the credibility of many churches. Because underneath, many of them are really cowards and critics. And often these guys are quick to criticize others, but are unwilling to be courageous themselves. They're too scared to make a decision but they love criticizing those who do. According to one pastor, some of these guys are the same ones who are afraid to declare a major in college. They're reluctant to embrace a purpose for their life. They hesitate to declare a theology. They won't take any initiative, nor are they decisive. Some of these guys won't even pursue a meaningful relationship with a woman because of their fear of rejection. This type of guy would rather criticize than create. They don't have visions, they have anti-visions. They criticize the men who are attempting to be courageous. They criticize the men taking risk. 
They find the minor flaw in everyone and everything, yet they themselves aren't courageous enough to take initiative with their own lives. So you can now see that a misunderstanding of authentic manhood has caused many guys to become either childish consumers who look to find their happiness exclusively in the pleasures of this world or cowards and critics, the self-righteous boys who criticize others but lack courage themselves. Without a clear understanding of and commitment to authentic manhood, we will all be tempted to be childish consumers or self-righteous critics. Just as we must intentionally reject the misses of the fruit and the fig leaves as they relate to God's provision for our sin, we must also reject those misunderstandings of what it means to be an authentic man. So how should you and I respond to God's mandate on our lives as men to embrace authentic manhood? First, we must believe that God has made a provision for our sin. Through placing our faith in Jesus, we can have salvation and embrace true masculinity. Once we have trusted Christ for our right standing before God, as men, we must then embrace God's mandate on us to create and cultivate. And we should feel the burden of this mandate most in our relationship with God, in our professional vocation, and in our relationship with our wife and family. We've dedicated other sessions in this 33 series to help you grow in those areas. But you can begin today to follow and live out this create and cultivate mandate. Instead of just going through the motions at work, you can breathe life into your work by making strategic adjustments where you are, or you can find the courage maybe to make a bold move or take a big risk. That'll put you way more in sync with the way that God's wired you. In your marriage, you can initiate dates with your wife and cultivate your relationship. You can be creative and give her something to anticipate. You can provide spiritual direction to your children, intentionally pouring into them and leading by example. To do that, you'll need to cultivate your own relationship with God and dig a little deeper so your family doesn't just see a good guy who works hard and provides. They get to experience a growing and powerful authentic man who's passionate about following God's will to lead. Next session, we're going to look more closely at how Jesus embraced this mandate. We are going to discover the specific actions he took in his manhood journey and talk about what that looks like for us today. This session was the big picture of God's original design for your life as a man to create and cultivate. Next session, you and I will receive a clear, compelling, biblical definition of what it means to be a man. We'll see you next session. In the South, college football is a sacred tradition. John Croyle experienced that tradition firsthand as an All-American defensive end at the University of Alabama a key performer on legendary coach Bear Bryant's 1973 national championship team. In high school, I made All-American in football and basketball. And um, Coach Bryant and other coaches would come to the house and we'd visit and talk and everything. But uh, I had no idea where I wanted to go. But I remember meeting him when I was 15. And uh, he just had this gift of finding already motivated people and steering them the way he wanted them to go. John had the talent and opportunity to play professionally, but an off-the-field experience permanently changed the course of his life. I was 19 years old, and, and I was playing at Alabama, and it was the summer, and I was working at this camp in Mississippi, and uh, I was just a just an old counselor in one of the cabins. And I met a little boy from the streets of Orleans whose mother was a prostitute, and he was the banker and the timekeeper for his mom. He would literally knock on the door and say, Mama, I got the money, here's a receipt. And the man would go and be with his mom. 
And I told that little boy how you become a Christian. He came back the following year and told me word for word what I'd show him summer before. I realized I'd been given a gift. Not sure what to do next, John visited with his coach to discuss the future. I wanted to go play with the best in the world. And um, I went to see Coach Bryant and I said, Coach Bryant, I want to get the money from pro football and I want to start this home for kids. I had been telling him about this ranch from the time I was 19 years old. And he just looked at me and typical of him, he said, don't play pro ball unless you're willing to marry it. Go build that ranch you've been talking about. That's it. I walked out and never looked back. So John exchanged one dream for a new one, the Big Oak Ranch. Since 1974, John and his wife, T, have cultivated a loving, nurturing environment for children needing a chance. We have eight, uh, eight houses that are, have kids in them, living in them right now. And um, there's a you know, couple in each house, um, call them house parents, mom and pop. Here's our high school boys in junior high and high school. We brag on them on Friday nights and we got uh, JB games on Tuesday nights and I better be there. And they'll, they'll literally come get water and they'll take the thing and they'll squirt water. And I see them look in the stands and they'll give me the little heads up because they know I'm there. I gotta be. That's, that's what dads do. Your parents or your family can't provide uh, the things you need. The ranch is there for you and they'll teach you how to become a man and uh, we'll take care of you on up into adulthood. Every child that's ever lived here with us, including the five-year-old uh, last week to the very first one, they've all heard the same four promises. I love you. I will never lie to you. I'll stick with you till you're grown. If there's boundaries, don't cross them. As parents, as fathers, if we give our children emotional support, truth, security, and discipline, you'll raise a thoroughbred every time. Big Oak Ranch sits on 143 breathtaking acres, a haven for animals, games, and fishing. A child's utopia. Only most of these kids traveled through hell to get here. Had one boy dipped in hot grease and waist down and burned. Uh, I met a little girl that was right by her father while her mother held her down. Uh, I, I met a little girl, 18 months old. Her daddy brought in friends and five men raped this 18-month-old little baby. Uh, I have seen the depravity of what adults can do to children. If you're just a kid and someone says, we built this for you, um, you can never achieve anything until you believe in yourself. So we have to start at the ground level. You're not a piece of garbage. You're not somebody's leftover human that they got tired of. You are a creature that God created and he has a future and hope and a plan for you. Over the years, more than 1,900 children, ages five to 18, many abused, neglected, or abandoned, have been dropped at the doorstep of Big Oak Ranch. Each year, more than 100 kids live at the ranch with dozens more graduating high school and leaving for college. He's a junior at UAB. Uh, that boy went in the Navy this past year. We have learned a truth. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Sometimes what we do is we focus on the rebellion, we focus on the rules instead of focus on the relationship. So what we've done for many, many, many years is every Tuesday morning at seven o'clock, I have breakfast with all the high school boys and we talk about authentic manhood. And then at 7.30, all the high school girls come in. We talk to them about choosing wisely and who they date and eventually who they marry and who's going to be the father of their children. Dear God, thank you for these beautiful young ladies. And thank you for their future lion, the man that's going to be their husband and the father of their children. Protect him. Keep him safe.
make him into a great man as we try to make them into great men. Been able to say a whole lot of things and there's been a lot of fruit. There's been a lot of mistakes. I've made about every mistake you can make as a man, husband, and father, but there's got to be that time. There's got to be that time where you draw a line in the sand of your life and you say, that's it. I've got to grow up. I've got to lay aside childish things and move on and become the man I'm supposed to be. How exciting to know that God has given you a design to create and cultivate. That's why you're here. That's at the heart of this lesson. That's the heart of every man. At the same time, in order to fulfill that purpose, you need power. And that power comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate model of what manhood looks like. And to begin that journey, you have to have a relationship with him. And our prayer is that you would find someone to talk to about this. Whether it's a friend, uh, whether it's a small group leader, whether it's a pastor, wherever it may be in your life, talk to someone and share with them your desire to move forward in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, it's been a great day and we hope you've enjoyed session two. Next session, we will move further into the issue of a definition for what a man is. See you next session. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That is awesome. <laughs> Truly, God is uh, ministering to me and I, I thank him that, you know, we can we can be better. We can do better. We we can be the men that God has called us to be. You know, one thing I know is that um, if God if God is asking us to do something, there's an anointing. There's there's the his spirit that he has given unto us or made available to us so that we can accomplish that. And so God is not going to um, put something out there and a, a demand on our lives and not give us the ability to do it because he knew we couldn't do it on our own. Um, and so we thank God that he has given us, he has equipped us, he has made available himself, his spirit to be able to give us that um that unction, that drive, that ability to do what he's called us to do as men. And so I'm excited. I'm excited. We're we're wrapping up day two. Um, I'm looking forward to um, getting men to join in on, on this quest for authentic manhood with me. Um, I, I did this series and I started the series with some guys in, in prison and it really put me more mission, even more mission minded. And, you know, that uh, there's there's countless of thousands of men, millions of men that need to hear this message. And so um, I'm in that quest. I'm, I'm on the mission, you know, and uh, if it's just one that will make a commitment Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. to be here with me, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, if it's 10,000, I'm cool with that. You know, I just want God to get the glory because we're not just going to benefit us as men, but it's going to benefit our families. It's going to benefit um, our, our communities. It's going to benefit our nation it's going to benefit our world. And so we just thank God for this opportunity. Hey, this is just Antoine. I'll see you at the top. Bye for now.